Well, hey, friend, and welcome to The Messy Table, an ordinary space for real women, imperfect stories, and the God who's at work in our mess. And I'm so thankful that He never stops working, that He actually has an unlimited capacity for all of us, for all of our complexities and sins and doubts and questions and fears. And He meets us right where we are, but He refuses to leave us there, stuck in our pain and selfishness, hopelessness. It's why He initiated the greatest rescue mission of all time, because He really, really loves us, and He really loves you. And so we are so grateful that you're here. And if we haven't yet had the chance to meet, my name is Jen Jewell, and I have the honor of hosting this Faith-Fueled Conversation Style podcast. And today, I have an amazing co-host back with me, my good friend, Cindy Beal. And y'all, we are partnered with the women of our church, Life Church, where we are also huge fans of the YouVersion Bible app. And you know, when you think about it, for a good portion of human history, people didn't have personal copies of scripture. They either just didn't have it, or they had to have a special person read it to them, or they had to go to the temple to hear it. But we have God's word, literally in our back pockets, for free, translated into our very own language. And so be sure if you haven't already and download that right now. And guys, our favorite part of this podcast is just locking arms with some incredible women from all over who have been found and changed by Jesus. And today's guest certainly knows all about it. Jana Finley is a mom and friend, an overcomer, a follower of Jesus, who is passionate about leading others, especially others from unlikely places, to have a relationship with Christ. And she actually gets to live out her passion every single day as the product support leader for YouVersion, where she leads lots of volunteers from all over the world who are also compelled to help people engage with the Bible. But listen, if you ran into her at a coffee shop or you saw her at the grocery store, you would not know that she has been through some stuff. And today, she's going to tell us all about it. Because somehow, in some way, God has worked all things together for good, for His glory. I really think you're going to love her. So grab your coffee, pull up a chair, and join Cindy and me for a chat with Jana. So good news. We have Cindy back in the house with us today. Hey, hey, So excited. And we get to interview Miss Jana. So welcome to The Messy Table. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. You guys don't even know the treat you're about to hear with my girl, Jana. So for those of you who don't know, um, some of you may be wondering, Cindy, where have you been on the podcast? Well, I have a full-time job now, so there's that. She works hard. I work, I mean, you know, I work, I think I work hard. I am the spiritual support director at YouVersion. And so I lead a team of volunteers. The person who works with me, Sierra, and I, we lead a team of volunteers around the world who pray for people and share resources and just help get them connected maybe to a local church and just community. So that's my day job. And so part of that is that I get to work pretty much side by side with Jana. So she works on the YouVersion team with me. And so like we've just become fast friends. Yes. Close, like family type relationship. So team you version. And I'm not official like you guys. I'm not near school, but I get to do some writing for you. You write for you version. So lots of you version love here on the podcast. So Jana, I could talk about you for at least seven or eight minutes straight. Oh, you're so sweet. All the good things. But I would love for you to just kind of share with our audience a little bit about you. Well, thanks for that amazing introduction. I'm like, (laughs) how do I, how do I walk into that? Right. Um, I call Cindy Mama B. So she is like my office mom, but like real life yes. mom. Yeah. 
Yes, I work at Uversion. I get to lead our product support team. And what's that? Tell them a little bit. It's basically just a fancy word for customer support. So any questions you have, you write into my team, we help you out. And we have also volunteers from all over the world. It's pretty cool. So you're a problem solver. Uh, Absolutely. You're putting out fires. All the time. We talk about that all the time. Like I keep wanting to get Jenna a firefighter hat. (laughs) (laughs) Is that the theme of my life? Just fireman. Put out fires. Fire woman. We've we've joked that I'm going to get a fire hat and like put it on when I'm actually like in the middle of a, you know, solving a problem. Uh, But we just never executed on that yet. But I love Cindy. I love Life Church and Uversion and my um, my story and, you know, just my salvation. I found Jesus here at this church. So I am actually a mom. I'm a single mom. I have an 11 year old daughter and I know she's like coming into the preteen years and I'm like, what is my life? <laughs> is she fifth grade? She's fifth grade. Okay. My son's mm-hmm. fifth grade. Yeah. And it's like a really weird phase because it's like preteen, but like it really start- is the tween. It's it it's really the tween is. Stage. And you, you're like, do I treat her like a teenager? Do I treat her like a kid? So, you know, you're walking into those years, but um, that's my highest calling is raising her and she's just my why. I just admire her as a person. Like the older they get, you realize like they're human mm-hmm. and you fall in <laughs> love with like their personality and and who they are. And so it's like, it's just really cool. I also have two Pomeranians. They're the cutest little tiny dogs. Aww. So it's me, my daughter and my two Pomeranians. And I love them. They're so fluffy. They love to cuddle. <laughs> Dogs are the They're best. literally like my children. They're the best. They're lazy. They sleep all the time. But so, yeah, some of my passions are just connecting with people, loving just I love people. I'm all about people um, and just really walking alongside people, getting to know them. I told my friend the other day, I was like, if my dream job would just be like meeting people and talking to them <laughs> all day, like, you know, you just, know, what's funny, though, is that you kind of get to do that. Right. Yeah, I do. You get to talk to a lot of different people a from lot. all over the world and love them and encourage them and yes. help them. So, yeah, cool. all the people things. Um, I'm a personal growth junkie. So I love just anything like leadership development, anything. Like if mm-hmm. I'm going through something, I'm like, I want to learn all about that thing. Um, I also like roller skating. Oh my gosh, <laughs> you guys, she totally goes to the roller rink. I do. Yeah. Seriously. I want to go. It's like, so, it's like my midlife crisis hobby. So I was like, I just want to like do something that I've always wanted to do. I don't and think you're midlife yet. Maybe I came into that early. (laughs) I'm an early bloomer. Let's just say she's lived a lot of life that we'll soon learn about. (laughs) So maybe it is midlife. Yes. One day I was just like, I'm scared to roller skate because I don't want to hurt myself, but I just need to do it, you know? Mm -hmm. And I did it and I was like, this is so fun. I met all these people and I actually haven't been in a long time because I hurt my knee, um, not roller skating, but working out. I hurt my knee working out. And so, yeah, I love roller skating. That's one of my weird hobbies. And then I just love cheering for people, showing up for them. And I actually have pom-poms on my desk because I love cheering for people. And we have meetings, like all you version Y meetings. And she's always got the pom-poms and mm-hmm. she's cheering. And so it's kind so of... So what's your like Myers-Briggs? I'm an ENFP. All the people, all the time. Yeah. Spontaneous. Go with the flow. I... Also have ADHD on top of that. So, I mean, it's just, you know, sometimes I'm like a squirrel. Yeah. And Cindy's like, hey, hey, I'm reading this email to you because I know no you're joke. not going to read your email. So we're 
20, I'm 20 years Jana's senior. So yes. clearly I grew up where you respond to your emails, right? Yeah. <laughs> and the, no offense to any of the younger generations, but especially Gen Z. I know you're a millennial, but like Gen Zers, emails are like newsletters yeah. to them. Do I and have so, to respond? Right. Yeah. And so if there's something important, I'll be like, Jana, you just got an email. You need to check it out real quick. <laughs> Or Jana, I just sent you an invite. That's why she's my mom. That's so, hilarious. It's kind of, I mean, it's she kind goes of, kind of yesterday. Weird. She was like, "Hey, you got to do something on Friday," according to this email, and I'm like, "Dang it, what?" <laughs> well, then I told her I was like, "So here's the deal: you're going to come in on Friday morning. You're not going to know why something's not working, and so then go back to this email. It'll tell you what to do." Yes, I'm so still trying to catch up on my email from when I was off for a week. So thank you for that. Um, yeah, I love cheering for people. Loving on people, all of that. Okay, well, obviously we're here at the messy table because we want to get beyond the highlight reel and into some deeper stuff. And I know you've been through a lot. And so if you would just kind of peel back the layers on some of your life and when things have been messy. Yeah, man. So there's been a lot of mess. We'll see. Right, <laughs> I right. Mean, I know you can't share everything. You can't share everything. But what I think, you want us to know today. Yes. You know, as I was just thinking about like, what would be a theme of my life? My mind went to loss, but it also went to being found. And so when I was a kid, you know, I kind of grew up, I was raised by a single mom on the South Side. So I got a little, got a little ghetto in yeah, me. South Side, yeah. Oklahoma City. You'll probably, yeah, like South Side, Oklahoma City. Like we were barely on the line of more, but my mom was like, you need to go to good schools. So she would do anything to get me in those good schools. But we were we were Southside. And you no, know, nothing wrong with Southside. I love it. I still live in more. And so I'm a little ghetto at heart. You know, I've got some, you know, story behind that. And, you know, my mom was an amazing mom and she did the best that she could. And she she did better than her parents, right? You know, one day we were joking in the office and this kind of gives people perspective on what kind of what my childhood was like. One day, Cindy and I were talking about how I'm a young mom and I will be 40 when my daughter's 18. So I'm going to be like basically empty nester in my 40s. And I'm like, ooh, I could go on a cruise. I could like do all these things like that <laughs> I never got should. to do. And I will. But we were joking. And, you know, in my family, the goal was don't get pregnant before you graduate high school. And my sister got pregnant when she was 16. And so like, me being 22 when I had a baby, like I was an old maid, you know, like in <laughs> yeah, our world. she was above the bar. I was, I made it like past high school. Yeah. I didn't get pregnant in high school, but like that was the thing my mom was so concerned with was like, don't get pregnant. Please don't get pregnant. Like, please graduate high school. You know, she wanted me to go to college. She wanted me to do better than she did. And so my mom started from nothing. She was in foster care several times and abuse and all of those things. But did you know your dad ever? My dad, yeah. So he he was, I've got like this love-hate type of relationship with how I describe him because we didn't have a great relationship because mm -hmm. he was an alcoholic. And so I just had a lot of bitterness and resentment toward him for not being in my life or beating his addiction to be in my life. But he actually died when I was 16 from Lou Gehrig's disease, which is like, you know, when you're 16, you're like, what is this? You right. know? super terrible, just terminal disease that is kind of rare. Um, starting with that, you know, in my in my teenage years and, you know, my mom's like 
always struggling. We kind of just don't have anything. You know, my mom doesn't own a home at this time. She was successful at one point in her life, but through a series of just relationships and just things that she, you know, made choices. We never had anything. We never yeah, you had you lived quite in poverty. I did. Right? Yeah. We were below like the poverty line for sure. I mean, I remember us not really having money for food, really. Like there wasn't really groceries in the house. She didn't really cook. And so I'd be like, hey, mom, I'm hungry. You know, what are we eating for dinner? And she's like, I don't know. Go find something in there. You know, so she's trying to work two jobs. And, you know, she's a single mom trying to do all these things. And by the time I'm a teenager, she's just like, take care of yourself, basically. Mm -hmm. And so I would literally go in there and be like, okay, I've got like a can of green beans and some bologna. And I would just pop open a can of green beans and put it in the microwave. And that would be my dinner. You know, and I always joke about that, but that was my reality. Was normal. It was normal for me. And I, I really liked it. <laughs> it actually was, I would put like a bunch of butter on it and <laughs> it would make it taste good. I mean, butter makes everything better. Butter yeah. does make things taste better. And that's what I mean is like, in her mind, she's trying to come out of, you know, yeah. abuse and poverty and all these things. And so she is doing better than what she had. I mean, it was still hard for me. And I knew in my heart, at that point in time that like, there was a different way. That's just, this just isn't it for me. And I knew like, I wasn't going to be okay with staying there. Yeah. I was always like a dreamer and like, I'm going to live in that house or I'm going to, you know, very superficial things. Like I knew that this wasn't the life that I wanted. I wanted to own a house. I wanted to have a nuclear family. I wanted to do life differently than that. Did you have any kind of faith going on no, in this home? No, I not mean, really? so my mom, she was a Christ follower. She was really resistant to the idea of church. So she watched a lot of Joel Osteen and Joyce Meyer on TV, T.D. Jakes. Like she was, she would watch all the televangelists. She'd be sitting there taking notes in her Bible. And she read her Bible every single day. Like she faithfully read God's word. What did you think? I saw like the way that she lived and then I saw that and I didn't know how to reconcile it. Not that she was living wrong. I thought that faith was just something you do in the morning, you know, or something when, you know, when it's convenient for you. And so I was a Christian. I gave my life to Jesus, like, you know, when I was a kid and got baptized and then really just didn't really think about it again at all. And I knew that Jesus was, I knew I was going to come back to Jesus one day. But I just didn't know when I was like, oh, when I'm married or when I when I'm adult, that'll be something. But then life happened in between. Right. Yeah. And my dad dies. So my dad died when I was 16. And that was that was pretty traumatic for me because he did die with I felt like he died not knowing that I loved him because I had such animosity toward him for those things. And so when he died, it was like it was really a slap in the face for me at 16, where I was like, Oh, my gosh, I didn't say the things that I needed to say to him. I didn't forgive him. I didn't love him right where he was at. And so that really matured my brain in a way that's heavy on a 16. year old. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I was like starting to drive and my mom at this time, I think she was a realtor or something. And it was just me and her. And the following year when I was 17, we got news that she my mom got diagnosed with stage four breast cancer. That was the scariest thing. I remember thinking, I'm 17. Oh, my gosh, I'm supposed to go to college. I had this plan to like, you know, live with my mom, go to college. 
stage four breast cancer is like, it's malignant, aggressive. It's all throughout her body. We didn't know how long she had. You know, they wouldn't tell us because they didn't want to put a timeline on it. But that was really traumatic for me because, you know, I didn't feel like I was going to have any support after that. Mm -hmm. An orphan. I was going to be an orphan. That's what I, at 17 years old, I would wake up with, you know, just debilitating anxiety about like, where am I going to live? What am I going to do? Am I going to get to go to college like I wanted to? Mm -hmm. Am I ever going to be able to break out of this life that, you know, I felt like just kept pulling me back? And so I made choices during that time, you know, to numb the pain. And I turned to drugs and alcohol. I turned to, I mean, hard drugs, not fake stuff. I'm talking anything and everything I could get my hands on. And it was, you know, looking back, obviously, I wanted to party. I wanted to hang out with people, but I was numbing. I was escaping the anxiety and the thought that I'm going to be alone or that, God has forgotten about me or that my family doesn't love me. Like you can name it now. (laughs) Yeah. Right now. But then it was, oh, I just want to have fun. Did she start some treatment? Was there a treatment available? Okay. So she went on chemo. So the last two years of my high school years were taking care of her. I mean, I wasn't her sole caretaker, but really didn't know what to do in that situation. I tried to do what I could and I would drive her to appointments. But I was like, I'm trying to finish high school. (laughs) Like, I don't know how to handle this. Um, She had a boyfriend at the time who helped take care of her. Um, But I just remember, I mean, she was frail. She was very sick. It was very traumatic, even just now thinking and like visualizing what she looked like then. It was really, really hard. And so I think through all of that, like I said, the anxiety, the depression, all of that took over me. And, you know, I made a lot of wrong choices. And I ended up pregnant. And, you know, 22. At, is that what you said? I would got pregnant 21. Okay. And had her right, like days after I turned 22. So I was just a baby, like, you know, but I'm thinking in my head, I'm an adult, you know, I'm like ready to start my life. I honestly was happy when I got pregnant. Because I knew that I was going to change my life. And Layla is my daughter's name. She is like, I truly believe that like getting pregnant at that time saved my life. I think I would have been dead by now. She was the motivating factor. Yes. As soon as I got pregnant, I decided I'm like not doing drugs, not doing alcohol. That's not the life that I wanted. Mm -hmm. And I had to figure it out, man. I ended up a single mom when she was six months old. Her father um, ended up being abusive and there was just a lot of toxicity in that relationship. And I was like, I got to get out of this. And you guys never got married. You were just We never got married. Yeah. And so I was a single mom with a six month old baby. No education yet. So you had not started school yet? I had like a year of college. Okay. But like that was it. So no real anything to show for it. And how did the journey with your mom's cancer turn out? So it was a long one. So she went seven years with stage four breast cancer, which is kind of unheard of. Yeah. Normally, um, you've got like maybe a year, two, three, but she went seven years. And so that seven years was very, like I said, traumatic. It was up and down. It was she's healthy, then she's not. She's healthy, then she's not. And 
through that, you know, in the middle of that, I became a single mom. And I remember when I moved out of Layla's dad's house and got my own apartment, she came to live with me and to try to like help me a little bit. And when she came to live with me, I was working at a bar at night. I would go um, work at the bar for a couple hours at night, three times a week, and she would stay with the baby. And then I would come home and be with the baby all day. And so I was only away from Layla during those early year or the first year a little bit, which was good. I mean, I was, you know, just living off of tips and, you know, Mm -hmm. had this little tiny apartment with terrible, nasty carpet. (laughs) And I remember when I got that apartment, I just cried because I looked at the carpet and I was like, my baby has to crawl on this carpet and it's disgusting. But I was like, I got to start somewhere. Yeah. You know, I've got to start somewhere. And so my mom got sick again and she couldn't help anymore. And so she basically was like, hey, you're going to have to get a day job. You're going to have to get daycare, you know. And so I like went through this whole process to like get daycare assistance. And I found a job and I became like basically an administrative assistant somewhere. And I was living off of like $10 an hour by myself. I mean, that is Really hard. With the baby. With the baby and no child support. No, like, yeah. I had a little bit of assistance, like daycare and, and food, but I was scraping. And that was the last time my mom got sick. She ended up passing away shortly after that. And so Layla, and Layla was how old? Again? About one and a half, almost two. And so here I am, 23 years old. Yeah, you've been through a lot. No parents. A baby. baby, no support, no support, mm-hmm. rough background. Yeah. I mean, and I'm like, no education at this yeah. point. Mm-hmm. Did you graduate high school? I did. I graduated high school. Yes. Oh, that's right. Because it was later. Yes. Whenever you got pregnant. Mm-hmm. So you're looking at this. This is your life right here. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure it was just like, what do I do now? Yeah. But you have always been the person. Okay, let's, let's go. Let's mm-hmm. do something. So is that when you decided to start finishing your degree? Actually, yes. So around this time, I got this day job and I'm like, kind of like the business world. What do I want to do? I talked to my sister and she was in college at the time. And my sister's older than me. So she went back when she was an adult. She was like, you can do this. Like, I'm doing this and working. And she was like, you're smarter than me. And I was like, no, like, I don't think I can like have a baby, work full time and go to school full time. If I go part time, it's going to take forever. Like, how do I have time for this? And she was like, look, you can set it up like this. Like she really just made me feel secure. She showed me some of her books. She showed me some of the work that she was doing. And I was like, I can do that. I was just really scared to take that leap because I already felt like, oh my gosh, I'm a single mom trying to figure this out. Well, the unknown can feel so scary. So I love that she's showing you the path. Like you, you can, you can do this. Yeah. Great. She went for social work and that's something that like I was really interested in. And she was like, if you go and take these classes, I can help you because I took them too and you can do them online. And so I started learning about online college. So I ended up enrolling and I just, I think I enrolled in like one or two classes at first. And I was like, okay, this is manageable. Mm -hmm. So I went to full time and online. So what I was doing is I was working full time all day (laughs) and then I would get home get Layla, do dinner. And then Layla would go to bed around like eight or nine as a baby. She went to bed early. And then from eight or nine till about midnight, I would work on my schoolwork. I did that for the next four years. Wow. And you're just working, working, just 
I wanted to be like in the social work field, helping people. Like I knew those things that I went through. I knew that that was going to be used in some way. Well, you already had the picture in your mind, even from when you were a teenager, like something's going to be different. And even through all those things that, you know, may not have been what you would have expected, you began to even see, okay, God's going to use this, even though you didn't know, you know, Jesus may have been your savior from a young age, but he definitely wasn't your Lord. So take us to that part of your life. I mean, unless I'm skipping over something you want to share, but like, I want to know that change, what it was, what brought you to Christ? Yeah, I think as I was working to like build my life, mm-hmm. I... You were working. Yeah. Me. Keyword, right? Right. Like, That's exactly which, what it was. Sure. It's a tension there, right? Yeah. Like we don't do nothing, but... I literally was raised, do it all on your own. Don't depend on anyone. My mom used to tell me that all the time. You are a strong, independent woman, mm. Right. You don't need no man. That's exactly, that was one of her words. You don't need no man like that. Like that was our culture of our family. And to me, I was like, okay, that means don't ask for help. That means don't lean on other people. That means I've got to do this because this is my pride and this is the way that I'm supposed to do it. I do think that's human nature. I think we all can like lean towards that way without Jesus. Yeah. And there was no like sense of community or belonging anywhere. And so, you know, during those years, I would say those four or five years that I was like trying to build my life, doing the right things, I knew something was missing. There was something missing always. I would get in wrong relationships. I would end up, I mean, I was just, I was living in sin, but I was still a good person, right? Yeah. And like, to me, I'm like, well, if you're a good person, then you're going to go to heaven. Obviously I was wrong, right? Well, I dated this guy and I always joke about this because I started dating this guy and he was like, hey, what are you doing for Christmas Eve? And I was like, well, Layla's going with her dad. I'm going to be alone. I mean, I don't have family, right? And he was like, come to church with me. And I was like, church? I've been meaning to like try this church thing Get around again. to that. So I went and I went to Life Church South and I literally that night, my life was like, that was the night my life turned completely around. Really? I remember just, I would cry and cry every time we worshiped every, like every time I went in the church, I would just cry um, because it was like that longing was being fulfilled. That, that part of my heart that was empty yeah, was being kind of filled up in those moments. And it was like very emotional for me. So something was awakened. Yes. There was a part of my heart that needed to be unlocked, right? And so um, being just in that place of like, I don't know what this is. I don't know how to do church, but I'm going to try it. And I didn't really have an idea of what church was. I never really, like I went to like a few churches when I was younger, went to like church camp, but like I didn't really know Life Church was different because I didn't have any like thing to compare it to, right? Yeah. You didn't have like a traditional background or something. I didn't. Yeah. But I did feel that like sense of shame for being a single mom in the church. Not because anybody made me feel that way, but that was because of me, because I felt like. Well, this isn't the way people at church are. They don't. Yes. They have a family that's all put together and they wear nice clothes and mm-hmm. I don't do that. So there's shame. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly what it was. And 
you know, people see me with a child and they see no ring on my hand. And I think of that, right? And I think everyone knows I'm a single mom because I'm showing up here every single week with just me and my daughter, which I think is very brave. It was brave, wasn't it? Right? Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you. I never realized that. (laughs) Look at her. She's like, I'm brave. Look at me being brave. brave. Yay. (laughs) I think at that time, I, I was just very resistant to it too. So like, I was really like, I want this, but like, ooh, life group, you want to do what? Like, ooh, go to an event, like listen, like let people in. I was not this right here, what I'm doing right now. I would have never done that. Being open and sharing. Yes. 11 years ago, I would have been like, which is so interesting. I feel like you're kind of an open book. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Like, because I, I understand the power of it now. Mm -hmm. You know, I understand what God can do through the sharing of stories, you know? And it wasn't until I saw like a single mom on stage preaching or, you know, doing the open for church that I was like, oh my gosh, there's like people like me here. Right. Like mm-hmm. these people are like me. I I kind of, I had to get over that. God, God hit me in the face with a scripture. I started reading my version Bible app. Come on, version. Early on in my, it, early on in my like time, you know, with Jesus and I remember reading a scripture and it says, you don't light a light and put it under the bed. Mm-hmm. You light a light and you put it on a stand yeah. to light for the world yeah. for all to see. At that point, I was like, I feel like there's something that can bring glory to God through this, mm-hmm. through this story of like me finding Jesus and the value that I felt like I could put into this world because I do have a passion to help people. I did want to be a social worker and, you know, help people, but I didn't know what all of it meant. And so I was like, I got to go. Right. So did you start to feel like you had value because of this new relationship with Christ? Did you start to really see yourself differently? I did. I think that was the start of me seeing myself as a light and not as darkness, you know, Mm -hmm. because I did see myself as like broken and shameful and all of those things because of what I had done, what I had been through, where I grew up, all of that. I didn't understand it all yet. But I was like, okay, I just got to take a step. I just got to show up, right? So as I kept showing up, God was like, you've got to get into community, right? You've got to meet people. You've got to let people was in. Was that a turning point for it you? It was a turning point for me. Another turning point, Another I should one. say. Yeah. I went to a life group and it was the scariest dang thing <laughs> I had ever done. Like I'm showing up with my daughter to someone's house, right? Like, first of all, who does that? Hopefully he doesn't kill me, right? But like... On the other hand, it's like, what are they going to ask me? What do I have to share? All of those questions. And I'm like, you know. Are they going to make me pray out loud? Oh, gosh. <laughs> I don't even know how to pray at this point. I'm like, God, are you there? Yeah. Um, but I stepped into that and it really kind of shocked me how freeing that step was and how like stepping out into community actually made me so much stronger because I literally like if you would have said to me back then, you need to find community. I didn't even understand like I was like community like out in the city, like in the world. What does that mean? So when you use the word community, it's kind like, of a churchy term. Yeah, we don't even realize yeah, it. I didn't realize it. I was like, what does that mean? They keep saying this, and it's just friends. It's people, right? It's yeah. it's it's relationships. People that know you. Yeah, people that know you that you can trust. And I continued to step into that and show up. And that was really where a lot of the healing took place. 
that was where I realized that people weren't going to hurt me. They weren't going to always leave. They weren't going to not show up for me. Like people wanted to care for me. They were like, we'll help you with your daughter. Like, we'll watch your daughter if you need to go do this or let's go to dinner. I'll buy your dinner. And I'm like, what? Like, I can't afford to go to dinner. They're like, we'll buy it. Like, it's not a big deal. And I'm like, what? Like, do I need to do something for you? And they're like, no, like, this is, this is what life group is. And I'm like, oh gosh, what is this? You know, like seriously had no clue. Well, and I would say that's probably the biggest turning point. I mean, meeting Jesus, big turning Mm -hmm. point, but like that part of your growth Mm -hmm. as a Christian um, happened in that. And so she then stepped on the Life Church team in what role? As a Life Group's Life Missions pastor. There you go. I did. Yeah. So that was her first job. So I'm at sure Life there Church. were, you know, steps between oh, that. Yeah. But, but yeah, like, that's, that's just awesome. exciting to me to think that the thing that frightened her the most would become her passion. And even though she's not necessarily, you know, Life Group's pastor anymore, I mean, she isn't, but like she's still so very passionate about community. So quickly give me some steps in between. So obviously yeah. you went back to school. You were going to church. Yeah. You're doing all these things. I ended up graduating college, which was like a huge deal. Oh, I mean, yeah. gosh, guys, like I was still a single mom at the time. Graduated college when I was 26 and having a bachelor's degree in my family. Right. Big nobody deal. had ever done that. Nobody had ever done that in my family. I was very proud of myself. Yes. And I didn't really know what my career was going to look like. But I was like, oh, if anything, I did this one thing that was like a huge deal to me. And so, yeah, I stepped in and serving in the church. I stepped into some leadership in the church and I continued to just be obedient and just really let God prune those ugly parts of my heart Mm. and give me confidence in the imperfection and the messiness of who I was, you know, Mm. and like I was in a church that welcomed that. And I was in a place that was like, you don't have to have it all together, you know? And the more that I got told that, the more I felt, okay, I can still show up. I can keep showing up and become a leader in this. Like leading people was like, so never thought I would ever do that. Right. But like Life Church believed in me and people and the community and all of that, these leaders in my life just poured into me. And, you know, I felt that calling to really just take all of that and use it for God's glory. Not for my own, not to say I'm a light, but because Jesus is in me, he lights up those dark parts of me. And I can share that with others and say, you don't have to stay where you're at. I never really thought that my story of brokenness would lead people to Jesus. God showed me that weakness brings glory to him, right? And my favorite scripture ever in the whole entire world, like my whole life just always goes back to 2 Corinthians 12, 9. And it's my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I'm going to boast more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. All my whole life, I'm like, weakness is bad. You know, don't be weak. You're a strong woman. You don't need no man. Yourself up by your bootstraps. We don't need no man, right? (laughs) But like, we need Jesus. (laughs) Come on. And so, so that's your mantra, right? Be weak. Be weak. Like, (laughs) be broken and then figure it out. Pull up your bootstraps (laughs) with Jesus's help and do it. And, And so, I think about the woman at the well. She was totally broken when she met Jesus. 
but she became one of the most evangelical women, right? right. Went and told everybody else. She said, hey, y'all got to meet him because he's doing some <laughs> things. He forgave me. He can forgive you too. One thing I love about that story is that she goes and tells everybody in the village and then they come and see for themselves. Yes. And that's what we're called to do, right? We tell what he's done in our life, but then they have to come and see for themselves and have a personal you know, relationship. Yep. I love earlier when you said, I've just got to start somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I know that applied to when you're pregnant with your daughter, like, all right, I got to get my life together. And then with school, yeah. and then with stepping out and starting to go to church with reading your Bible, Absolutely. which obviously now I know we're filling in the gaps, but there's so much richness there. And so I'm sure that just continued with, all right, I got to start somewhere. And I'm sure with people listening right now, who might feel like they're in a difficult place or they might feel like they're in a broken place or whatever goal they have, or maybe they want to be close to Jesus and they feel like, man, I see other people doing this, but could that be possible for me? I would just echo your words like you got to start somewhere. Yes. And 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 that right here is the perfect place. Like today, you know, I think people want to wait till they get to a certain level in life. Like right when I said it earlier, oh, when I'm married, I'll do that. Or, oh, when I'm an adult or when I'm 25 or when I'm 35 or whatever, like it doesn't matter where you start. It like God does not care what your path was. He literally accepts you right where you're at today. It doesn't matter where you start. What matters is that you start. That's good. And when you don't know what to do, just show up. When I didn't want to go to life group, you still went. I still went. I showed up when I didn't want to go to church because of the shame. I continued to show up and show up and show up again. And like every single time I showed up, I showed up, right? Like I didn't just say, I'm going to go through these motions. I looked at it and I said, I need to change that. This needs to be gone in my life. I need to read my Bible. I need to be in community. And which we know now, and you probably know now is the Holy Spirit, right? Because we don't do that on our own just to think, I really want to read my Bible. I really need community. I really need to know him better. Like he's the one who gives us that desire, which I think is really beautiful looking back. Because that stuff is hard. I mean, especially I don't like reading. I hate reading actually. (laughs) But, you know, sitting down and actually like ingesting God's word and then applying it, that's hard. Especially when you've made mistakes, you're not perfect and you never will be. But I think that's what's really cool about my story is that I only found Jesus seven years ago. Does it feel like a lifetime? It literally feels like 20 years. It literally feels like that is a completely different version of me. I'm still the same me. I still have the same love and desire for people and, and helping and all of those things. But like, you'd be amazed what God can do. Well, even those desires he had put there in the first place, they just weren't quite used to their potential yet. They didn't have the ingredients necessary to grow. And so you'd be amazed at how much can happen in a year of following Jesus. Two years, three years. It like multiplies because it, you know, the compound effect, right? It's like one year of following Jesus. Okay, I've got this. Two years of following Jesus. That's two, right? That's double. And then three. And it's like so dog years. It know? is. It's dog years, right? <laughs> you know, your scars, they're conversation starters. They're relationship builders. They're, they're points where people 
see that anyone can follow Jesus. Doesn't matter who you are. The thing that I want people to hear me say is like, don't be ashamed of what you've gone through. Don't be afraid to start somewhere Mm -hmm. because if you start at the bottom, the only place to go is up. Yeah. Literally. And especially if you have Jesus, like you can literally go in one year of following Jesus. If you truly follow him, you're going to look back on that year and be like, whoa. Right. Yeah. I think of when Jesus said, you know, it's not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. And that's all of us. Right. Like we all are so desperate and incapable on our own, even if, you know, some of us have fancier bells and whistles than others and can look like what you were saying earlier, look like we have it all together, but really no one does. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, Janice, I know you don't like to read. But you're still a learner, and I do know that. Um, So what kinds of resources or things have you done that have helped you that maybe could help someone else? Yeah, well, I definitely think that if you're coming out of an unhealthy family or unhealthy situation or just really trying to change your life, I recommend lots and lots of therapy. Get a counselor. Mm -hmm. Get someone who can challenge you and love you from a mental health perspective, because my mental health was not great along the way. I still struggle with mental health. It's not something to be ashamed of. Again, I thought that that was something to be ashamed of, but I definitely like have grown leaps and bounds because of stepping into therapy and mentorships, right? Like I consider Cindy one of my mentors. Mm-hmm. Um, because, Don't we all? <laughs> right. She's like the men- mentor of mentors, of right? The world. And, you know, get someone that it's going to like love you and encourage you and challenge you personally. And I think also never stop learning and growing around emotional intelligence, relationships, all of those things. Like if you came out of unhealth, you don't know how to do that well. And that's okay. But learn, right? Figure out what those areas are and really grow through those and ask God, hey, God, what is it in me that needs to change? And then deep dive into that. I'm not saying that you have to obsess on, you know, your flaws, but really just understand that growth is a journey And even in my journey, you know, even since following Jesus, I've gone through some things, gone through a lot, a lot, actually. But I've had people like Cindy. I've had people like my therapist. I've had, you know, even my boss, my leader here at a a version, just just love me through it. And it's still hard, but it's hard in a different way. It's hard in a way that we're doing something right. I want people to understand that just because you grew up unhealthy or just because you've been through divorce, trauma, abuse, whatever your case is, like there's help out there. There's people who want to help you and there's resources. And the cool thing is if someone's meeting you for the first time, like we just met, I would never know. Right. You're just this very beautiful, articulate, sweet, smart, Thank you. Caring person. And I would never know that you had gone through so much. Yeah. Just the countenance of Jesus on her face. You know, it, that's seriously that's what makes us mm-hmm. yeah. look like our daddy. And I think that's the most important part of your story is that, you know, you kind of went from survival mode, just trying to survive, just trying to live, which is actually kind of a life without real meaning because you weren't getting to some of the deeper questions of life. Right. And yeah. And then 
God brought you to a place where he was pursuing you and he awakened that in you and you were able to really press in, not just to be saved, but also to thrive in your life. And Mm -hmm. so I love that. Yeah. So beautiful. Well, I really applaud your honesty in telling some of the hard parts of your story. Thank you. So as we kind of wrap up, yeah, I don't want to wrap up, but we got to do that. Yeah. Um, What's just a final thing that you want everyone to hear and know as we go on into our week? Um, I said this earlier and I'll say it again because I think that we need to remind ourselves over and over and over because the enemy will get in there with doubt, right? And he'll say, you're not good enough. You're too far behind. You're too poor. You're too this. You're too that. You're not enough this, right? And so again, it doesn't matter where you start. It matters that you start. It matters that you show up and you do what God is calling you to do next whatever that is. If he's calling you to stop smoking cigarettes, if he's calling you to stop having an unhealthy relationship with someone, just take those steps. And even if it's something small, make your bed, right? God could call us to that. Steps of obedience. Right? Yeah. But just do it and start where you're at. It doesn't have to be these grand gestures like going to school or it doesn't have to be that. Mm -hmm. So don't take my story and think, oh, I've got to go to school or I've got to do this or I've got to do that. Like God calls you specifically to do what he's called you to do, not what he's called me to do or Jen or Cindy, but figure out what he's asking you to do and do it over and over and over. And if you keep doing that over seven, eight, 10 years, you're going to look back and be like, wow. With Jesus, yeah, I can do so much more. Come on now. That'll preach, so right? That will preach all day, every day, and twice on Sunday. Put me on stage. Put her on stage. Put me on stage. No. <laughs> I don't I actually don't like being on stage. <laughs> well, this has been such a gift. Yeah. So thank you for sharing today. Yeah, thank you for having me. I enjoyed this. You did great. Love you. Thank you. All right. Well, as always, lots of resources are linked in the conversation notes. Remember to download that YouVersion Bible app for free. And while you're at it, you can subscribe to The Messy Table also for free. And every time a new episode goes live, you don't have to search for it. It'll come straight to your phone. We would also love to connect with you on Instagram, where we post extra details and quotes from each episode and really value getting to hear what God spoke to your heart as you listen to these stories of mess, of redemption, and of hope. And last but not least, as you head back into your week, please don't forget that yes, life is messy, but God is at work in your mess.